Good afternoon. Amen. We're here to worship the true and living God. Amen. We are able to come with expectation. In our text today, we find a narrative that reveals the depth of Jesus' compassion, but also challenges our understanding of faith, of grief, and the divine authority of Christ. In life, we all face moments of deep sorrow, moments when our faith is tested, when the pain seems too great, and the way forward seems unclear. It is in these times that our passage for today speaks more powerfully. Here in the story of Lazarus, we witness a remarkable, a remarkable interplay of human emotion and divine purpose, a story where tears and miracles coexist, where the depth of human grief meets the height of divine love. These verses, we find some sisters stricken with grief over the loss of their brother, Lazarus. We see their community also in mourning. And we then, we also see how the master teacher, who in this moment reveals the heart of God in a way that is both moving and deeply instructive. The story of Lazarus is not just about a miracle. It's about how Jesus, how the Lord responds to our deepest needs, how he understands our sorrows and how he offers hope in the midst of despair. It is a story that asks us to look beyond the surface of our trials and to see the hand of God working even in the darkest hours. Wherever we are, we're able to look past the influences of our circumstances and we're able to see God able to see God in the midst of it all. And so let us consider our text for today, John 11, beginning at verse 28. John 11, beginning at verse 28. I'm going to read to verse 44. I got a nice piece of text. There's a lot of land to cover uh, in our short time, but we're going to do our best. John 11, beginning at verse 28. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now, Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha 
had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house consoling her saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now, when, when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. We heard that from Martha on last time we met. And now here's Mary saying the same thing. Verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved them. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you? that if you believed, you would see the glory of God. So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Let us pray. Lord God, as we explore the sacred texts, your word, open our hearts and our minds that we might behold the lessons that are there and apply it to our own lives. Help us to find the comfort in knowing that you are with us even in our grief. You're a God who will never leave us 
nor forsake us. May our faith be strengthened as we grapple with the mysteries of your plan at work in our lives. And may we be awed and anew by the power and the authority of your word. For your word will go forth and it will not return to your to, it will not return to you void. Let your word be efficacious. Let it be effective to us in a number of ways that we might apply your word to our lives in every respect. Help us to remember the power and authority of the Lord Jesus Christ who conquers all, even death itself. Help us to remember the rock of our salvation. We pray all these prayers in Jesus' name. Amen. So today's sermon is entitled, The Son's Compassion in Times of Sorrow. Um, didn't get my points in, in time enough, so I'm going to be... Um, announcing them as we go, but I want to give you the four points or five points that have fifth point is more of an application point. But um, point number one is grief and faith in times of loss. Point number two is the Lord's compassionate response. Point number three, the challenge of faith and understanding God's plan. Point number four, the revelation of Jesus' divine authority, and we're going to consider for application, uh, point number five, living in the hope and love of Christ. And so let us uh, just, don't, don't worry if you didn't get those points, I'm going to be list listing them as we um, work through the text. Point number one, grief and faith in times of loss. Uh, Martha at first revealed her faith when she acknowledged Jesus in three ways. One, she believed that he was Lord. Two, she believed that he was Christ, the Messiah. And three, she believed that he was the Son of God, pointing to his divinity. According to John, John 11, 25 through 27, we see it there. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ the Son of God, who is coming into the world. And so here we are in verse 28. When she had said this, when she made that statement about the Lordship of Christ, believing him that he's the Messiah and the Son of God, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. I thought that was interesting because I didn't see in the text where the Lord had called for Mary. 
The text goes on to say in verse 29, And when she heard it, Mary, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. And then verse 31, when the Jews were, who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. But when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Martha had just exercised faith in Jesus, but it seemed like she was uncomfortable, probably frustrating to know that there was a possibility that the Lord could have been there. And maybe she was frustrated with the line of questioning by the Lord. Also, the sorrow she was carrying may have distracted her as well. Sometimes when we're going through, we're not always ourselves. There's a lot of things that are flooding our minds that we're thinking about and trying to grab hold on to a piece of hope somewhere. She just lost her brother Lazarus, whom she was close with. And so, sometimes... When we're dealing with grief, we can have blind spots. We can have a rough time dealing with the pain of losing a loved one. So we can understand why Mary and Martha would say, if you would have been here. We can understand the hurt and the grief that were with Martha and Mary. Sometimes grief can be hard to overcome. And other times it has more to de deal, it has more to do with learning how to live with the pain through faith. So in reality, the pain might not go away. But what do we do? How do we live? And that's when our faith is activated. The Lord allowed Lazarus to die so that their faith can be upgraded. In other words, to use the analogy again, they needed to go back into the spiritual gym. Begin working out again through faith. The Lord allowed Lazarus to die so that his disciple might learn to put their faith in him. 
That's what he's been talking about the whole time. It's about believing him. So now that he got Martha to a place where she is believing and she's affirming her faith, Now that her faith was growing, she was able to discern better things. And maybe that's the reason why she wanted Mary to come to the master. She had learned some things and she wanted to pass it on. And she said, the teacher's here. Come, come see, come see. Come, come learn. Come listen to what he's saying. And Mary was probably considered the the spiritual one, if you would. Martha is always busy. She's always having things organized, knowing what time we have to start, knowing what time we have to finish. We have all these things to do, and Mary have chosen the greater things. She's with the Lord. She's been known to be with the Lord. And so here it is. The beauty we see in Martha, that even though she has a certain kind of personality, we see that God is working with her in her faith. And it's the beauty of us all. God works with us where we are. We don't need to compare ourselves to one another. So here it is. Martha is discerning better things. She did so by recognizing also that the Jews were near. Maybe that's why. She knew also that the Jews were trying to kill the Lord. And so in stealth mode, she went to Mary and said, the teacher is here. She maybe did not want to have the Jews who were near to know what she knew. So rather than make the Lord, Lord's presence public, Mary decided to make her, Martha decided to make her aware of the Lord's presence privately in keeping with helping his disciples. The Lord recognized that Mary needed help as well. She needed help as well. He wanted her faith to, go, to grow as well. According to verse 31, the Jews misread what Martha was intending to do. She was going to be with the Lord. Mary went outside of the village to meet Jesus, and when she saw him, she fell. She fell at his feet. Mary seems to be at the master's feet, always choosing and discerning what is best. How do we know that? In Luke 10, 39, in referencing to Martha, listen to what the text says. And she had a sister, Martha had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. She found herself at the master's feet. Notice it again in John 12. John 12, verse 3. John is going to, to say this. 
as when we get there, but but here it says, Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Mary was known for choosing rightly when it came time to being with the Lord. And that's something we must do too. We must evaluate our lives in such a way that God gets the best time. Whatever time that is, I'm not going to set upon you a time because not everyone is a morning person. Not everyone is a night person. But I think if we practice giving God the best time, we're moving in the right direction. Recognizing that God truly is Lord over our lives. And so we see this activated in, in Mary's life. However, the Lord wanted Mary's faith to grow. In other words, her sanctification wasn't done. She didn't have a glorified body. There was work that still needed to be done. And so he decided to allow Lazarus to die. This was the way that God chose for her to grow. Are we satisfied with the way the Lord wants us to grow? Or will we try to manipulate the plan of God because we think we know better than God? Because there are some things we want to do while we're here on earth. But I hear the scriptures saying that we've been bought with the price. We don't belong to ourselves anymore. We have a master. We have a Lord. God over our lives. And therefore we must come under the sovereign plan of God that is perfect. That will never fail. That is always elevating us to higher levels because God can only do that which is good. And so he invites us. Oh, taste and see that God is good. He's calling us up. God doesn't have restraints. And so here it is. We may find ourselves having to deal with grief. How do you deal with it? How do you deal with sadness? How do you deal with disappointments? How do you deal with things that are not going your way? That is not according to how you have planned them. Do you embrace them as a part of spiritual growth? What we can do is recognize that even the difficulties we face, even when our plans are broken up, plans are not working in the way we would like them to work, there have been some turbulence, if you would, even to the point of grief, 
Do we recognize it as a natural response to the plans of God? So, the other thing we must recognize is that it's okay to cry. It's okay to feel pain. It's okay to, to mourn when we experience grief. It, that's a natural response when we experience loss. It's okay to cry and to, to recognize our weaknesses because when we are weak, then are we strong. It's so easy for us to get manipulated by the world to think that our strength is in ourselves. We must continue to die daily, recognizing that we're to allow ourselves to feel and express that sorrow, but then we're to bring it to the Lord. Understanding that God is present in the pain and he will never leave us. And so as a church community, we must learn how to lean on one another and cry. It's okay. We must learn how to support one another. In many cases, comfort and strength is found in the Christian community. During times of grief, during times of pain, we see, we see ourselves drawing closer. We see this in the Lord himself. Just as Mary and Martha had each other and their community, we should also rely on our church family in supporting one another. Point number two, the Lord's compassionate response. As we see in the text, Jesus was, was deeply moved by Mary and the sadness of the Jews. Look at verse 33. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. It's as if the Lord allowed himself to be rocked to the core so that he could understand what Mary and Martha was going through. And so he said, where, where did you lay him? And they said, Lord, come see. It's as if they're saying, I wish he was there. He's over here. And what did Jesus do? The text says, he wept. In other words, he felt. Right? This is important. I don't believe Jesus wept because Lazarus was dead. He has the power in himself to heal Lazarus. So he, he's not disturbed by death. He, he has the power over death. So I don't believe he wept because of Lazarus. I believe he wept because he loved. He loved Mary and Martha. Mary and Martha believed 
that Jesus should have come sooner in order to save Lazarus. And he understood that. He understood their feelings. And then came their conclusion based upon their actions. They believe it was too late. It's too late now. Wish you would have been here. Because at this point, it's been four days and Lazarus was dead. This is the state that they were in. These are the feelings that they were, were having. They believed that it was too late. It was, it was as if the circumstances had overcome them sir, so much that they, their faith had gotten weak. And so hope began to just ooze out of them. But here it is. When he saw Mary and the people weeping, he wept because of his deep love for this family. He brought himself to feel their pain. Though he knew he was what he was going to do, he understood what they were feeling. He loved them, and because of his deep love for them, he also participated in the pain, and he wept with them. The Lord is all-knowing. We don't know everything. The Lord had a plan, and he brought himself, even though he knew he was going to raise Lazarus up, he brought himself to a, a state where he can also be able to understand what they're going through. These were his friends whom he had loved. And so Jesus wept and became sad. This is something we must learn as well. We must learn how to empathize with people. We must learn to be understanding, to be careful with what they're saying to us. It can appear that we're stepping on them if we're not careful in our responses to what they're saying. And here we see that illustrated to us by the Lord himself. Even though he had the power to do everything he could have said otherwise, but he allowed them to express themselves. He brought them to the feelings that they were having. They needed their friend. They wanted Jesus, whom they loved, to be with them when Lazarus was sick and dying. Remember, we have the same advantages as disciples of Christ. We also can call on the Lord just like Martha and Mary had called on the Lord. The difference is they sent someone on their behalf to say to the master, we needed you. The one whom you love is sick. But here it is. We have the ability to go to the great high priest 
We're able to get down on our knees and call upon the Lord our God. And he is a God who is willing, willing and ready to listen to us. Every word, every moon, God wants to know about it. And he's able to fill us where we are. He's able to sympathize with us. We have access to God. And that's why we have the privilege, the freedom of taking everything to God in prayer. We are the chosen of God before the foundation of the world. What a benefit. In Philippians 4, verse 6, we are reminded not to worry or to be anxious about anything. All disciples of Christ are commanded in Philippians 4 and 6, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. This truth was understood by brothers and sisters before us, and we know this because of a familiar song we have had the blessed privilege of singing penned in 1855. It reminds us of this. The song is entitled, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. The first stanza says, what a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. How so often we suffer because we neglect the privileges we've been gifted to, to have that was given to us through the blood of Christ because we failed to take everything to God in prayer. That's not enough. Second stanza, have we trials and temptation? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Can we find a friend so faithful who will all our sorrows share? Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Still not enough? Are we weak and heavy laden, cumbered with a load of care? Precious Savior, still our refuge. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Do thy friends despise, forsake thee? Take it to the Lord in prayer. In his arms he'll take and shield thee. Thou will find a solace there. If that's not enough, here again, listen again to John, the writer of this gospel. He reminds us in the 15th chapter, verses 13 through 15, when he quotes the Lord saying, Greater love 
has no one than this, than someone laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. No longer do I call you servants, for the servants does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. Beautiful. Family, there is no greater love than the love we have in Christ. People may leave us, abandon us. People may accuse us and people may shame, excuse me, shame us for the name of Christ and for standing for righteousness. But remember, we are friends of God. Keep obeying the commands of God according to his word. And in doing so, we would show ourselves to be friends of Christ. That's what he says in his word. You are my friends if you do what I command. We become allies with God when we follow along with the word of God. Point number three. The challenge of faith and understanding God's plan. We can recognize that we're called to follow the Lord, but we can also recognize that it's not easy, right? It's not easy for us to follow the Lord. We will be faced with challenges, and, and sometimes God doesn't give us all the answers. Uh, we, we don't have all the answers. Sometimes we're challenged with what's next, Right? But people recognize his love when they see it, right? Uh, love is a, is, is a strange thing. You know, sometimes it's, 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 it's logical, but it's not. Sometimes we're just left in awe because of it. We can't, we can't grip Why the Lord would die for us? Why would he do it for me? We can ask ourselves. We, we can come to have to struggle with assurance and say, why did it save me? I don't deserve it. I struggle in my mind. I struggle with doing that which pleases God. But then, greater love. Greater Love has no one than this. Someone would lay down his life for his friends. And so, when we come to Christ, it doesn't mean that we won't have challenges. It doesn't mean that it won't be hard. Also, we saw in the text that the people witnessed the miracles that Jesus did. And though they doubted, they wanted to see more miracles. They were about, or they were going to see it as well. This was going to be the miracle of miracles. In verse 36 and 37 it states, So the Jews said, See how he loved him. Right? 
the Lord loved Lazarus. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? There's the questioning coming up again. Once again, Jesus was deeply moved by the death of Lazarus, whom he loved when he came to the tomb. In verse 38, it says, then Jesus deeply moved, deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave, it was a cave and a stone lay against it. Martha lacked faith in the Lord. She could not bring herself to believe that the Lord had the power to overcome death. Instead, she recognized the power of death or the power that death had over her, but she could not bring herself to believe, her faith was weak, that the Lord was sovereign over death, at least not yet. Look again at verse 39. It says, Jesus said, take away the stone. And as if Martha, excuse me, excuse me, Right? Um, he, he's dead. He's he been dead. He's been dead for four days. He is so dead that he's going to be stinking up the whole area. Martha in this verse unfortunately demonstrated her lack of faith. Her actions revealed that she was not having faith in the Lord. We could even say that it was weak faith as well. I wouldn't go to the point, go to a point to say she's a non-believer, but her, her faith was obviously weak. We can understand that. We don't always believe the Lord in the way we ought to. So at that moment, when she um, was going through this period of doubt and indecision during a time when she should have trusted God and accepted his will for her life. She struggled. She struggled. Well, he was the same one who said that he was Lord, he was the Christ, the Messiah, right? That he was the son of God. And here it is, she's struggling with the reality whether or not he can raise the dead. In other words, she hadn't accepted yet the Lord's will. Even though she went through a period of all those things, she should have trusted God and accepted his will for her life. Instead, she was unwilling to believe that Jesus had power over all creation. When was the last time you struggled with doubt? This is something we have to be really careful with because it can lead us easily to a path down the road of insecurity and a lack of trusting God's will for our lives if we're not careful. We must do something with the doubt. We must do something with the insecurities. We must do something with the lack of trusting God's will for our lives. 
Because if we're not putting our hope completely in the Lord, it could easily lead us to a lack of hope, fear of man, and our circumstance. Uncertainty about what the Lord says will always lead to a lack of faith in God. James 4 and 8 says it like this, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. So he says, draw near to God. We're to recognize our sinfulness and our pride and our arrogance and thinking that we have it all figured out and we're able to bind God up. Being double-minded is a characteristic of a sinner, not the man or woman of God pursuing Christ. Verse 40, Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? This is the main idea. This is what Jesus was getting to. The Lord had to remind her of what he told her he was going to what he was going to do and what was going to happen and why it needed to happen in the way he said it was going to happen. Some believe it was a reminder of the conversation she had with the Lord. But let's look again at verse 4 of this same ch chapter. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. It's as if he's reminding her of what he told her already. What did Jesus mean when he said to Martha, if you believe, you would see the glory of God? He was going to do a miracle. So was this a rhetorical question? Was it the Lord asking a question to cause effect? Or was he making a statement of truth in question form? Because in John eleven twenty seven, 27, we saw what, Matt, what Martha said. She said, yes, Lord, I believe you are the Christ, the Son of God. Martha gave a good answer. She got everything right, but she failed to mention the glory of God. Now, according to John, why did Jesus do all of these things? We're going to go back again and remind ourselves in John 20, 30, and 31. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may Believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Verses four, uh, 41 through 44. Uh, point number four, the revelation of Jesus' divine authority. Jesus prayed by giving thanks to God the Father so that the people would hear and have their faith strengthened and know that it was God at work amongst them. Look at verse 41 and 42. There it says, So 
they took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. Jesus exercised his power by a command when he cried out with a loud voice saying, Lazarus, come out. The Lord is showing them his divine authority over creation and over death. And then when that happens, the whole of creation must bow. The whole of creation must become active and obey the commands of God. And so we see this happening. It says in verse 43, when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. This is God's divine authority. And so, according to verse 44, Lazarus, who once was dead, was brought back to life again after being dead four days by the way of the Lord Jesus Christ through his command. This was a demonstration of his divine power for all to see that Jesus was truly as he declared himself to be, and that is the resurrection and the life. He did this so that the glory of God may be made known through him. He revealed it for the glory of God. And so we close with this. The love of God is immeasurable. The Lord loves us beyond degree. He loves us beyond tears, failures, weak faith, and even beyond this life and death. He loves us beyond the grave throughout all eternity for the sake and for the glory of God. We cannot lose our salvation. So, may we be one with the triune God and one with one another. All those who put their faith in Jesus will have life in himself, but in the Lord, not in himself, but in the Lord Jesus Christ. 